0: From the birthplace of modern recovery, Akron, Ohio, welcome to Rockin' Recovery. Recovery Talks, the podcast dedicated to sharing stories and amplifying the voices of those on the front lines in the recovery movement. Our commitment to you, to always deliver straight up sober talk with the sincere promise of a safe stigma and judgment-free zone, Recovery Talks.
1: Right now. Welcome to this episode of Recovery Talks. Uh, I'm your host, Mark Shannon. I'm here with Ricky Bird. Ricky, thank you for being. here. Thank you so much. Pleasure, man. You know, man, Pleasure I don't know. To see where, I don't know where to begin. I mean, I, 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 I checked you out, and, and we're talking about you've toured and recorded with. Everybody. Robert Daltrey, Ian Hunter, I'm going to read the list, okay? Southside Johnny, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, Joe Walsh, Al Cooper, Mavis Staples, Billy Squire. I could go on and on and on, you know,
2: and I want the, You know, if you see, I wrote, uh, recorded, toured, or, or performed with. So, like, because of... I mean, I recorded with Joan, obviously, and with uh, Roger Daltrey. I toured with Ian Hunter. You know, I, did a, I toured a little bit with John Wayne. I toured with Southside Johnny. Um, and, but because of my, um, my history, I get to be... I'm always on events, You know, the last 15 years. So I got to play with Mavis and Smokey Robinson and Brian Wilson and because I'm I'm in the band. Right. I'm in the house band. All these guys, you know, like Jeff Carlisi from 38 Special and Liberty Vito on drums with Lee on and So, uh, yeah, man, I've I've been able to share the stage with. And of course, the Paul McCartney and Ringo thing was from the rock call, the induction that night.
1: Well, I want to talk to you about your rig. I want to talk to you about, you know, what it's like to be a sideman because we share that. I want to talk to you about some of my old buddies. I mean, Jimmy Clark says hello. I want to to talk to you about the Raspberries because I grew up in Northeast Ohio and they were, come on, man, that was it. You know what I mean? I was a Raspberries fan. Some of those guys are still around. You know what I mean here? I want to talk to you about Les Pauls. I want to talk to you about all that stuff, man, but I really, I'm here to talk to you about recovery and that's why I'm here. So, you know... Thank you for being here and telling us and sharing with your story. You know, tell me about what it was like, you know, being
2: Ricky before Ricky
1: got sober. What was that all about?
2: (laughs) Let's see, do I remember anything? Uh, Thank God I have a lot of photos. I mean, I was just like, I was living the life, right? I mean, um, my first tour was uh, 1977. I was with a band called Susan on RCA and we toured the States opening for Grand Parker and the Rumor. I mean, I started using when I was 13 and I stopped when I was almost 31. Listen, uh, I'm not gonna lie, the first uh, seven years or something, it was just, pl- it's playtime, right? Until somebody gets hurt. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, the 80s brought in uh, cocaine, really. And that was like the shot that put me down at the, you know, in 87. Uh, I mean, you live to use and use to live. And, and I mean, I had fun, man. We had the number one record and we toured the world. But I spent a lot of time uh, in my hotel room uh, with my heart beating out of my chest and the shades drawn and sweating and... But I've toured, I've toured, uh, you know, when I, I got sober, uh, clean and sober in 87, and I was, I was with Joan until uh, 91. I did something with them in 92, like a VH1 special, but... And then I just had, I had to change my, my mode of uh, traveling, you know? Like, I, I didn't hang out in the bar, you know, especially at the beginning. Um, I went to my room, I called people, um, I would pull into town, and I would actually call up, uh, you know, because I'm like a 12-step guy, right? So I'd call up into group, and I'd say, "Hey, man, I'm in Akron, Ohio. Is there something going on?" I, you know, and and they'd say, "Well, it's about 20 minutes from your hotel." And they'd say, "Would would you like us to pick you up?" They didn't know who. I, they didn't know I was in town to play. I was just a guy calling, right? Like Bill W. did when he was in Akron, Ohio, on that first day when he met Dr. Bob. So I had to change my world, you know. I couldn't be that guy anymore. And, I, and, and it was tough at the beginning because was, I was surrounded by a lot. Not everybody used, man. People I hung out with did. But it was I was surrounded by a lot of that craziness still. And I was just trying to, to, to stay alive. And it seems like it worked. I mean, I'm, I'm 32 years plus now. so
1: I, I call it my circling down the drain moment where I just said, you know what, this is it. There were three stages to my using. You know what, just like you said, this is fun. I'm having a good time you know next stage was like uh oh what just happened you know problems with money problems with work problems with gigging i i didn't really use too much when i was gigging but 12 nanoseconds after i was in deep. yeah one more forget one more song buddy i gotta go you know what i mean
2: let's not forget uh, my first you know i was a you know you go to backstory you learn about yourself i was a very i grew up in the bronx and I was like a little shy kid, man. I was I was playing guitar since I'm nine. I was fearful. I hated going to school. You know, I was a skinny kid with a Beatles haircut and fucking braces, you know? Uh, and when I smoked the first joint when I was 13, I went, huh, how long has this been going on? This is kind of interesting. I wasn't fearful anymore and I felt um, at ease. Now, a lot of people do that, but not everybody has the disease of addiction. Um, it's in my family, right? Um, on one side. So, What when when me and my friends when when they would do they you know smoke one joint and have one beer and I was the guy that smoked 15 joints and had 400 beer I I was that guy and as I got older I started experimenting because of the people I hang I was hanging out in the in the famous uh, Manhattan clubs when I was 15 16 this pictures of me playing at Kenny's Castaways with a 56 Les Paul Junior when I was that I bought for like 250 bucks back then. Oh, you know uh uh the leslie west guitar right when i was um i was 16 you know so i was hanging out with all the older crowd i learned about pills i learned about hard liquor you know and i was into it you know and i was part of that crowd and then as i got old like i said i did my share of pills yeah for sure but jack daniels became my drink uh over time i always i smoked pot through the whole 18 years of using but then um uh cocaine uh somewhere probably around 80 80? yeah about 80 you know somewhere somewhere around there um i got uh you know you know what it is like you do the first hit and you feel like a new man right unfortunately then the new man wants a hit so there you go Um, and then i just kept doing that by the time i finished i was 128 pounds
1: Cocaine for me was the first moment where I felt like I'm completely out of control, where I, I mean, all the other stuff, you know, it never, alcohol was never my number one. It was always the, hey, let's do this, this, we'll get some booze, you know? But when cocaine happened in LA in the 80s, it was the first moment. I mean, I'm breaking in my friend's house because I know he's got it, right? I mean, and I can't stop it. You know I mean? That's the
2: moment where I could have, There could have been a lot of moments of clarity. Well, I can't stop it is the key, right? Um, And you asked about my first circling the drain moment. So, uh, 1983, um, I got into smoking it a little bit, you know. Uh, and I actually blew a hole in my lung. Um, and the Blackhearts were on tour. We were in Opelika, Alabama. And I th- we were playing at college, and my lung collapsed on stage. And I didn't know. I thought, I do not know what the hell it was. You know, I, I thought uh, 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 I, I pulled something. So, I, I, re- I remember distinctly, it was the last song. And our road manager said to me, you think you could do the encore? And I said, yeah, I'm just, I'll lean up against the amp. So I was leaning against my little, my Marshall half stack, right? When we finished, they took me to the college nurse. And she said, oh, you probably pulled something. She gave me some muscle relaxers. They took me back to my hotel room. I remember uh, my road, uh, our road manager, Elliot was standing there and I went to lay down and I jumped back up, I couldn't breathe. And I said, dude, you gotta take me to the hospital. They told me if I would have gone to sleep, that would have been it. So my heart was moving to the other side. It was pretty serious. And I was in the hospital down there for three weeks, but that was in 83, I didn't stop using until 87. So there you go. After I got back to New York, which I swore I was done with everything, you know, in fact, the doctor down there, who was the head of the hospital, he said, you have the beginnings of emphysema, you can't smoke pot anymore. I didn't really smoke cigarettes. I smoked like cigarettes when I was really drunk, just for like the key, just for the Keith hand, you know? And and he said, you can't smoke pot anymore. So I said, okay, you know, I got back to New York, and then, you know, little by slowly, one thing led to another. And that's why I believe in total abstinence because I had the need to not feel, right? And if I started with a joint or, or we'd, we'd go out, right? And I'd, I'd you know, I'd have a, a Jack D'Angers or something. And then I'd have a second one, you know, because that's what we do. And then all of a sudden I'd be calling somebody and I was getting shooting pains in my chest where the scarring is. Like, so people knew me because I was always holding my chest. Um, that was my that should have been it 83 that should have been the time but you know that everybody's got their own bottom and 87 I was just like ready to go baby it's like I'm, I'm done and I was lucky because I walked into my first uh, meeting and I was just like yeah because all I ever wanted all my life was to be part of something that's why I joined a band man <laughs> you know so when I walked into a meeting they were like all oh, these people just like me but different I was like I love this i know what it was like to try and to
1: get back out there to start to play again for me and you know being over was was really a different thing it was you know people say well could you not play?" I'm, of course i could play but I, there was it was a difference there was a difference in the way i thought about things mostly it was in my head right can i do this you know could, do i still know how to do this you know was it all state dependent you know so tell me about your first yeah
2: i i never had that feeling i mean i'm a ham anyway so like i couldn't wait to get back on stage at least I don't remember having that feeling. Like, I couldn't wait to get back on. I mean, I'll tell you right now, my playing now, it's a long time. I mean, it has my playing is so much higher level than it was back then. And I was good back then, you know? I mean, you hear some of the stuff on, on the Blackheart Records. Yeah, I played pretty good. Um, I had you know, good solos, good rhythm guitar, you know? But, but when I stopped using, uh, I, maybe I cared more about my playing. I don't know what it is. I mean, my songwriting got better. My voice certainly got better. My uh, confidence, instead of that false pride that with that peacock thing where, you know, uh, I'm sure I'm really good at something, but I'm not sure (laughs) what, you know? So you would walk with this like false conceit, you know? And now I, in my heart, I know that I'm really good at what I do, you know? I'm not better or worse than anybody. Like I just know that I, I craft wise, I do it well. You know, as I get older, there's less and less times to go out and play. Well, right now, there's no time to play. So um, I appreciate every moment I get to get in front of a crowd because I know it's someday it's going to end, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm 63, right? So I got plenty of time. The Blues guys did it until, you know, it was over. Um, was- I'm about to put out a new record. But, but I don't know what's going to happen with live gigging. And I love playing in front of – and I'm one of these guys, bro, you know, with Joan and, and some of the other people I played with. You know with ian roger daltrey playing some gigs you know playing in front of thousands and th- hundreds you know, stadiums i'm happy playing in a freaking club in front of like you know 30 people with my acoustic guitar i feel i'm blessed with it like i i don't i just i'm happy that people like my job is to make people laugh cry or think you know and my music now is is, is ricky bird rock and roll but the lyrics are all about addiction and recovery hope, change for the better. Now, this is my second recovery record. Maybe I'll do a blues record next and it'll have nothing to do with it. But I feel like um, this is my mission now. I go around to treatment facilities. I do my recovery music groups, which I miss horribly now. That's how my music turned into this because I walked into a place with like six songs about recovery. I stumbled into it. It's too long of a story. But I had this, all of a sudden I had this catalog um, and people were coming over to me and saying, uh, after the, uh, their, the, the group in treatment, they'd say, man, you told my story. You know, or they'd be crying or they'd be laughing. I love that song, Paranoid, you know, about, uh, you know, uh, I was looking out the window. You know, I thought somebody was coming in the window, but I was on the 17th floor, you know. Uh, so so I, was, I felt like I was, um, I was hitting something. And I was hitting something where they were identifying with the lyrics. And I went, this is kind of cool, man. This is my third act, right? And then I put the record out. And then I went, now every time, the Clean Getaway record, every time I go to a place, I bring a stack of them. and I give them to the uh, clients in treatment so they could take the message home. And I sell it to civilians or anybody, you know, outside of treatment so I could pay for the, the giveaways, you know, and pay for the music. I was 13 years old. I tasted my first high To the bottom My life was stripped bare to the bone I spent years on the bottom You know I call that place my home
1: you is is that you know i noticed that you went back and, and you did the certified recovery coach thing it's oh uh, yeah That i have really thought about a lot is you know i'm, I'm active in the community i'm active uh, at st thomas hospital in the detox ward I, before the pandemic i was there every monday night man it doesn't get any more raw than that walking in and people are sick and i, and I thought about that and i just kind of wanted to talk
2: to you about you know what what was the decision to do that to go back and get you that- know what i stumble into everything like and I, I didn't even think about it I know why I drank and drugged emotionally I understand physically there's an allergy I wanted to know what actually took place in the brain when a person like me has the first one and I and so I always thought about yeah maybe I should do that now and I actually did a recovery music group at um, I think it was Betty Ford maybe down on Tribeca Hazleton on Tribeca and the guy that got me in there he said I said, so what, are, what do you do here? He said, well, uh, you know, I, I do this, and then I'm also going to school to be a counselor. He said, really? That's interesting. He gave me the number, and one day I just picked the phone and I called him. So I went to school for five months. I became, you know, certified as a recovery coach and a counselor. See, the, the problem is, because I do all these other things, I can't work five days a week because I don't know when I'm going to get something. And, and you don't get paid a lot to be a counselor, and, and you know, I have, I have the bills. Right, <laughs> so uh, I couldn't make a commitment to work full time. So um, I called the woman that owned the the, the owned the school because I knew she had a couple other places, and she said you'd be great at our place here in Staten Island. So last year I worked for like four or five months. I think it was four months at a place in Staten Island as a counselor, you know. And I was getting my feet wet, um, and I loved it. You know, I loved it, and I put some music into. I did my groups there too, as one of my groups. I think what I would be really great at is I would like to work, um, uh, as a recovery coach Well, this is my, where I'm, my target is in the entertainment field. Cause I think I could be of more help guiding people that go on the road or that you know, you know, like I got, I know the drill. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to find something that's like based in that. I did a couple of really cool things for music cares, mm-hmm. which was like a group. And people I didn't know from all over. And I, you know, and it was a recovery music group. So I did a couple of my songs and said, well, what do you got? And we would talk about emotions and stuff. I'm not putting it out that I wouldn't do, um, uh, work in a place, but I think my, my, I could best help people if I worked in the entertainment field, whether it's Broadway or, you know, whatever, some sort of recovery coaching like that. Cause I I know, the, I know what you're going through, man. I know what it's like to be around people that are drinking and drugging and touring and, you know, being stuck in a hotel in Sheboygan. I totally get. Around here, they call them pure recovery support people, and,
1: and right. It's, you know, it's 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 a lot of work for what turns out a really difficult job because a lot of the people that come in are court ordered, and the, you know, then you get assigned, and it's not necessarily you're not necessarily the person they want to talk to. They get it. They go Oh it, yeah. To deal with you, and but I I, I looked into it, but. You know, I just was really fascinated that you would take the time to go back and get that certification because, you know, just walking in with your, with your, uh, your pedigree in the, in the industry, but you went back to get the schooling and that's really impressive.
2: I'm inquisitive. Yeah. I wanted to see what it was. And yeah, man, I was like Rodney Dangerfield in, uh, you know, back to school. I mean, everybody was younger than me. Some of them knew who I was a musician, you know, that. And they were, and some of them were um, people that were out of jail, and they were giving them a chance to become coaches or, you know, counselors. And you know, I have a, a big, giant loose leaf like everybody else, filled with the notes, and um, and I was fine. I loved it. You know, I love. I think you should do a bunch of stuff in one life.
1: I feel, I mean, I did the whole thing. I, you know, I did the music thing and then I got into the corporate world. I mean, and I did, I wore a suit and a tie for a while. I was working for a lot of companies and then obviously i was always playing with a guy that you know was a was a local guy that you know we could play the big stages so it was fun but it was it was kind of like part-time you know what i mean and now it's full-time for me and i and, and I, I agree with you i'm playing better now than i've ever played before my head is clear right and better everything's better and i just feel this overwhelming need to, to just to be able to do something with it you know and tell people look you know what i mean it's really cool to not use and be a player
2: Somebody said, to, I was talking to somebody who I call on, that we co-wrote a song on my new record. Um, and, and we were talking, because I admire a few people that I see on social media. I'm a little bit of a late procrastinator and stuff, but I got to get busy. Like, I got this new record. We finished it just before this happened. So the songs are all done. Mm-hmm. It's all mastered. I didn't get to take pictures. Of course, I need a haircut like everybody else, but... You know, I'm now trying to figure out, like, do I want to put it out right this minute? Should I? Maybe I figured. I think what I'm going to do. I kind of made a decision yesterday. My anniversary is September 25th, 80, uh, you know, 87. So maybe, maybe the official release will be September 25th. The pre-orders will be uh, maybe on my kid's birthday in August. You know, so the people that got that ordered in advance don't get their copy a month in advance Uh, because I couldn't make a decision. It's like, wow, what am I? Why would I put music out right now? And, and I was watching how she's doing these live things from her house every day. And my friend Jeff Kazee, who played with Southside every Wednesday night, he does this amazing thing for an hour yeah. and he advertises it like a week before. I've done two songs live since this happened in my basement and I got really great response from people in recovery uh, and, and everybody else, too. But, um, you know, I'm like lazy. It's like Ugh. and then also I see like every single person is doing one. So I want to find a spot like, you know, let me find a spot where it's going to count. Um, but I, admi- I admire her for her, um, you know, drive to do it. She's got a new record too, you know, and, and she does it, you know, it's great and people love it. And I see how many people are watching it and stuff like that. And she said, you know, you probably want to do it to keep not relevant isn't the word, but, um, you know, in the picture. And I'm like, I don't really care that much anymore, <laughs> you know. I've had a really fabulous career, you know. I got some great stuff on my wall and some good statues. Too. I wish the dough that came with it I was smart enough to, to make it. But um, yeah, I'm good, you know. Um, and I, I, I just want to put music out that, that rock, helps people. Rocks, it's got to rock, of course. And there's some gorgeous acoustic stuff. But I just want to be able to put music out that it, it affects people. And then they write me. They send me these messages, you know, PM me. And they go dude i mean i had one guy that say said uh, that was in treatment he, when he got out he wrote i was i was packed and ready to leave and i heard your group and i decided to stick it out for the whole thing and i went i'm being of service how cool is this and i'm rocking and rolling <laughs> i don't know like i I've, I've, I've combined two things that i love to do like you know but once again my next record i may put out a freaking acoustic blues record i don't know Or maybe I won't put out any more records. I don't know what I'm doing. It's like, the hell.
1: Tell me about your tribe, man. You know, who's in your tribe? The people that you go to. I I, I mean, I, I've got people. I mean, obviously, I've got, you know, my head honcho, my, my trail guide. You know what I mean? My sponsor and all that stuff. But, I mean, who else is in your tribe that, that you you rely on and, and you read to? Tell me what that looks like for you.
2: Well, I got my one guy. And I'm always putting, I'm the kind of guy that, like, I put, um, like, on Twitter and Facebook, I write. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm real tradition as far as like I don't talk about AA meetings uh-huh. or on, on, online or anything like that or whatever meetings you go to I just don't talk about that but recovery is an umbrella term and I don't mind saying that I that I that I like going to meetings but I don't talk about anything further than that you know mm-hmm. uh, I call them community support groups because I heard that in school and I went oh that's a that's a good thing community support groups mm-hmm. um but um I put it I put on online I say listen and everybody knows me, man. I'm like this guy, this recovery guy. Um, if anybody's struggling during this time, PM me, let's have a chat, you know? So I love when people get in touch with me, you know? Um, and yesterday, actually yesterday, I got a call from a woman that I know that her son, you know, is blah, 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 and, and he needs rehab now. And I made a phone call to a guy at the groups at uh, out in, he owns a sober house out in Long Island. We got this kid into fucking rehab, you know? Like, That's what I, that's my thing, you know? Um, And as far as it's the guys and the the, the girls, I mean, I I lucked out with this men's group. Somebody asked me, uh, somebody was on my page on Facebook said, Hey man, would you speak at our men's group? It's 12 o'clock every day. I'm like, yeah, sure. So that was like 21 days ago. And, and like, I love all the guys in this group. I I was even saying, it's like, man, I live in New York. Is this like a pandemic romance? Like when this is over, I'm never going to see anybody again, you know? And this is, this is. You talk about where do I go? This is what I've been doing every day. That's it. I got some books over here. I go to in the morning. You know, I do the usual stuff we do. I just I just try to be of service. Just try to be kinder and all this stuff. And and I and I you'll see if you see me on, on social media. I I put out like a song to like I put this song together. This big glam song I did. That's one benefit of doing these recovery records. It's not a Ricky Bird solo record necessarily. So you listen to each song. This is bluesy. This is acoustic, and, and my voice is the common thread. So I did this big-ass glitter song with Tommy Price on drums. I knew he was the guy to do it, because I've got like Steve Holly from Wings on my record. I, you know, I got Liberty DeVito played on a song, um, and and I put it and I just put it out. I said, listen, this this might be good, because so it's it's about recovery. It's we're in this together. And when this started, I, I kept hearing that on TV every five minutes that say, And I said, hey, I got a song. So I put it out. I just I didn't put it out to sell it. I just put it out to so people could hear it. You could you could download it on Bandcamp. See, I'm learning about all these new places, man, because I'm old Bandcamp now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I just uploaded the the Clean Getaway record. If people want to get it there, listen to it. You could listen to it. You could buy it. Whatever. And that's what I'm doing this time. I'm trying to use this time um, to uh, help people, help myself. Somebody that's funny because the the thread today was um, about. When things don't go right for you, how could, you could use that time as a positive, you know, God thing, you know. And, and I said, my, my three speeds are, um, you know, when I'm not getting something I want or something I think I need, it's poor me. It's fuck you. Don't you know who I think I used to be? Third one is, eh, maybe God has alternate plans for me. <laughs> and the way, I, the way I stay in that one is by doing all the work I just said because then I stay out of my ego is not part of the conversation. It's it's about like, one thing that came in real handy with this is I'm, I'm not in the results business. The business that I chose is A, feast or famine. Um, and B, it's about people judging you. <laughs> you know, so if you can't handle that, you're in the wrong business. You know, it's like I put out product and then people either love it or they don't like it or they hate it or, you know, it's not for them. It's up to me to not really... It's up to me to just understand that I did really good work and then it's the world's thing and and I'm not there to go, Oh no, they didn't like it. Well, you know. Yeah. Like you know, when they they joke about like you get twelve reviews and the thirteen and they're all great and the thirteenth one sucks and that's the one you focus on.
1: Well, I listened to I listened to your music, man, and I was I just wanted to tell you that I totally dug the tones on, on Clean Getaway. I mean, you know, that was really a really cool minor blues. You know, I was wondering if you're using a three thirty five or whatever, but just really taste Oh, that's a good question. Really, really tasteful. It was, either, it was either the 335 or some P90s in the front position. I don't
2: know what it was. But I mean, in better- yeah, I'm thinking it was my Epiphone flying, video I'm not quite sure. I'll, I'll have to ask my co-producer, um, but uh, that's Bobby Whitluck on B3. Oh man, that's awesome. And uh, uh, Steve Holly on drums, Bob Stander, my co-producer on bass. Background vocals, can't tell. You um, I don't remember, but um, I think I, dude, I was playing through either a little Fender amp. Right. Yeah. or I was playing through a, um, I think I meant I was just playing through a deluxe or a, I don't know, some small little lamp. I was the guy that used to, with Joan, I used Marshalls, right? I can't even listen to Marshalls now, it hurts my ears, because I'm at that point where I have tinnitus, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'm a little, I'm not deaf, but like, you know, obviously you lose a little high end, you've been playing loud. And you know what I use when I go out and play? I got a 15-watt Fender Pro Junior. You know why because i went to the iridium in new york and saw jeff back there and he was using he had three of them but he was only plugged into one i went what so do you use the ears or you like wedges
1: ears or wedges oh wedges wedges so yeah, I I, I just got a, I got a, a 64 uh, uh, Deluxe that I just have redone and it's it's all I need. It's all I need. It's not a lot of amp, you know what I mean? But I put it through the wedges and it's all I need. But you know, on the bigger stages, I've got an old blues
2: breaker that I use. You know what I mean? Oh, that's I, a good one, yeah. I've used that in big gigs. That is a loud, it's got an old master on it. You just turn it up. You know, I upgraded the speaker so it broke up later. Dude, I've used that in big gigs and small gigs. I mean, it sounds amazing. It's at end. You could pick it up with one finger. You know what, when I found out that Mike Campbell was using tiny
1: little amps, I was like, excuse me, excuse me, you know what I mean? Because I love his tones. I mean, to me, the stuff that he does is just, you know, that that's the classic stuff for me. Going up in Northeast Ohio,
2: man, come on. What did we do? We just rocked, that's all we did, you know? I lost my, my Marshall stuff in Hurricane Sandy. It was in my basement, you know, I had a studio down there. I mean, I got most of the stuff upstairs, but at some point I just couldn't bring anything upstairs. Uh, but I have, uh, in my closet to my left, I have a, you know, I went to a stage. I, I bought a Vox, one of those beige, um, you know, hand-wired ones that they put out. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I haven't even pulled it out once yet because it's so freaking heavy, dude. My, I love my little Fender amps.
1: Well, the is 85 pounds, man. You know, you put that on top of it. Yeah, re- I know. You gotta have somebody else move it. And usually I do. I keep it in garbage and it's, I just, yeah, I'm not bringing that home. But I also got a 65 uh, Bandmaster that I had completely redone. And I put in. Patriot speakers and i totally dig that sound but again where do you use those clubs now where, where, where do you play i mean i, I just got last year a 76 that i had redone which i love i love that champ you know and you know for me i, I got a brand new princeton you know and it covers a lot of ground for me
2: you know it covers a lot of ground. the last um active live stuff i did um where i was playing a lot i had a really cool blues trio with uh, Bobby T. Torello, who played with Johnny Winter for like eight albums. Wow. Um, and he's, he's like a wild man, right, on drums. And he was, I loved him because w- if I moved my arm, he would hit the cymbal. Like I said, uh, yeah, good. Follow me down the road, bro. And Amy Madden on bass, who played with John Lee Hooker and John Paris. And, and we just did everything from uh, uh, Good Morning, Little Schoolgirl. I mean, I just picked my favorite songs. King B, you know. And, but we were loud. But, but it was my little Fender Pro. I love doing trio gigs because you really got to, I mean, that's it. You got to play. And, you know, it's,
1: it's fun to play and sing and doing that stuff. And people just say, why does the band sound so big? It's like, because that's how those records sound. You know, there weren't yeah, yeah. tracks. You know what I mean? I mean, two inch 16 track on Ampex. Give me that every day. You know what I mean? Give me that every day. Dude,
2: I have a couple of little pedals, bro. Nothing. Right. You know, I got the usual. I got a great little delay. I, got, I maybe have a, a, a chorus pedal or, you know, the overdrive pedal, I've got 25 of them because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've spent my whole career trying to get um, clapped in sound on uh, on the Beano album, you know, so you keep trying it and trying little things and, and little things. The only thing about overdrive is you want it to not change the sound of your guitar, you just want to make it sound a little scratchier. Yeah, yeah. So I've tried everything, the expensive ones, the cheap ones, you know. Um, I, I worked for a company in Akron for a while
1: um, after they, they were kind enough to give me sober Cold Earthquaker devices, and they have some really good front door dirt pedals, really cool. So we, we could talk offline about that. They've got a couple that I use that I don't. I turn
2: them on and I don't notice. Right. I don't Right. right. that's OK. I, I that. mean, my thing right now is I'm trying because unfortunately I'm the guy that even when I had my Pro Tools Studio in the basement, I had somebody come over and work it i just couldn't get into learning how to use it because i would rather bleed over a song lyric than try to figure out how to use pro tools you know and that was my laziness i got somebody that asked me to play two songs on their record and i was like well dude i don't really have anything and you know i got garage band but because my my laptop is too so old it's not so old but it's i mean it's eight years old i can't even get the new pro tools because it's not fast enough Mm -hmm. um so I got myself an interface. I'm gonna do it, man. That's my. This is what I'm doing right this minute. I'm. I'm gonna learn how to put ideas down, or you know, and even do these guitar tracks. They sent me a stereo mix. I just got to do a guitar track. Just got but I gotta. I gotta learn how to get. Yeah, exactly. mo M2 brand new came out. 169 bucks. It's awesome. Yeah, awesome. So I have to learn how to upload the track to Bandcamp, and mm-hmm. then I. Not Bandcamp. I mean uh, GarageBand and I have to uh, just get a sound, plug my guitar in and I'll play the track. And then all I want to do is plug my acoustic in and put ideas down and sing to it. And then I could send the files to my guy in Long Island at the studio and he could put a bass to it, you know, that's all. But now this is giving me an opportunity yeah. To not be lazy. I just got to do it. And I just want to thank you
1: so much for for giving me the time of day today. You know what I mean? And if you come through Akron, man, if you're coming through, please look me up. Because I don't know if you've been to some of the sites around here. I'd love to take you. I have
2: not been to Bill W.'s house. OK, you come into town. You got it. Please. You got it. Let me do that. I, I've been to places in New York because I'm like a historian with all that stuff. Like I've been to his first meetings in New York. I mean, I know the buildings. I always get the chills. Right. I've done this. This uh, the, the, I'm like the Rock Halls, you know, recovery guy now. So, like the last two summers, I did that uh, outdoor thing. So every time somebody says, "Hey, man, we got you know, you want to stay an extra day and let's go to Akron," and I I've never made it. Call me,
1: please call me. Yeah, I yeah. uh, will. Listen, thanks. I, a- Hang with us for this edition of Recovery Talks. Stay tuned to Rock Recovery for more episodes and more guests as they share their journey from the darkness to the light. until then, stay standing, stay sober, and steady on. Thank you, Rick.
2: And you can pre-order my new record at RickyBird.com.
1: Absolutely, man. Thank you.
0: Raising awareness, removing stigma, and offering hope. Hi, I'm Garrett Hart for Rock and Recovery. It's the nightly radio show that offers upbeat rock songs and inspirational messages for people in recovery from addiction, trauma, and mental health disruptions. It's for families and friends as well. Rock and Recovery is broadcast every night, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern at 91.3 FM in Akron, Ohio, and at 90.7 FM in Youngstown, Ohio. The show can be heard at thesummit.fm. You can also listen to Rock and Recovery on our 24 7 radio channel streaming at rockandrecovery.com. We've got a free app for your phone so you can listen anytime, anywhere. Everyone needs a little RR. Rock and Recovery. Recovery Rocks. Rock and Recovery Minute. Recovery
1: Rocks. I saw musicians that I knew before they had such a problem and they had lost their abilities to play music and sing and that scared me to death.
0: Joe Vitale, legendary session and touring drummer for Crosby, Stills & Nash, Joe Walsh, Ringo Starr and others, has been witness to the destructive effects of addiction on musicians and their families and loved ones and the relief that recovery can bring to his friends and fellow performers.
1: I have such a great respect for music and the talent and I respect music too much to jeopardize that and I work too hard to just throw it away. Talking about responsibility, the band depends on the drummer to keep time (laughs) and if the drummer's messed up then the band will be messed up and then you'll be looking for another job.
0: Hear the full interview and learn more at rockandrecovery.com. This has been a Rock and Recovery Minute. Recovery rocks.